It's got a soul, this hero farm. It falls asleep inside my arms. We walk the fields under the stars. But love is here at Goldshaw Farms. Welcome to Goldshaw Farm. I'm your host, Morgan Gold. On each episode of our podcast, we bring you stories of people who are homesteading, farming, and chasing their dreams. And today's guest I'm really excited about. He's a, a good friend of mine uh, from down in Texas. You know, I, I actually first met him, the very first time I ever met him. He and I were actually sharing a house with a few other folks uh, down in Virginia for the Homesteaders of America conference. And, and it was funny because he's a guy I've, I've actually watched on YouTube for a number of years and, and kind of just, you know, hanging out with him and just, you know, shooting the breeze and... and you know, being in that house with him was just such an interesting experience because it's like, hey, well, this is a guy I've been watching since the days that I was, you know, living in Washington, D.C. and and dreaming of starting my own farm. And here I am just, you know, ha- hanging out with the guy. <laughs> it's kind of weird, surreal. Um, and, and it was funny, too, because at the time when we were down there in Virginia, we, we definitely said, oh, yeah, yeah, I want to get you on the podcast and do an interview. And, and we should definitely do that while, while we're together. And we were so busy that weekend just talking about all sorts of other stuff that we never got around to recording the interview. Well, luckily, I uh, had a chance to uh, hook up with him over Skype the other day and uh, learn a little bit more about his farm, what he's been doing, how he and his family have been homesteading for a number of years, some of the things that they've learned along the way, some of the challenges that they've faced. And, and it, it turned out to be a really exciting conversation. So, so today's episode's focus is uh, my conversation with uh, Blake Kirby of uh, Daddy Curb's Farm. So it was uh, more of a A, B to C. Uh, I joined the military, which took me to California, and I lived there for a little over a year. And then uh, the military brought me to Texas. And then when I exited the military there, the economy was really bad in Indiana. So I just got a job here in Texas and stayed. And, and when you ended up in Texas, was your plan to, to start a homestead and start growing your own food? Or like, when did, when did you start that? Were you doing that out in California? No, not at all. Actually, um, I hadn't really gardened at all. Um, I had been around some gardening. My dad had a little garden. My mom did some gardening in the backyard. My grandfather had a large garden uh, that we would go every summer and work in. Uh, but uh, when I moved to Texas, it was the typical uh, going into a suburban area. And uh, during the course of, I don't know, five or six years at one house, I planted a couple of fruit trees in the backyard, some tomato and pepper plants, and really got the bug at that point. But what really um, sort of sealed the deal and, and made me crave more was that I built a um a small experimental aquaponics system which was built out of um, eight inch pvc tubes a uh, 200 gallon tank that was stocked with goldfish and that system never grew a lot of food but it did grow food so it was enough to hook me on uh, gardening and the and the different types of gardening that were available and it wasn't soon after that that uh, we sold our house and moved out to 
um, the house that we currently live in, which is kind of a story of its own, if you want all that. I'm curious, what, what is the story? That's what this podcast is all about. All right. So we homeschool our kids. And um, so some of the um, uh, homeschoolers that we were friends with, they lived in this house that we currently live in. And we were out here often because they would host parties. Uh, this, this little uh, five and a half acres has an original cabin that was built in 1979. And then uh, the house that we live in was built in 2003. So they would use their, the, the original cabin. They called it the guest house. We, we still call it the guest house. And um, they would have teenage parties. So we would come out all the time and hang out with them. There was one day when Mama Curbs and I were um, just talking about maybe someday having some acreage because I got the urge to garden and do different things. And uh, so we talked to these friends of ours and we said, hey, if you ever want to sell your house, let us know. And they said, funny story, we're selling our house. So um, it was at that time where we realized, okay, we either need to put up or shut up. And uh, we went through with the process to see if the bank would approve us for the loan. And it probably wasn't the best idea for the bank to do that because financially we were not in the best shape. But they did approve it and we managed uh, to do fine with it. For Now we've been here for um, nine years, I think. Wow. And, and it's, it's funny how that can often happen where you're not expecting to find the place that you really want to settle, but it just sort of falls in your lap like that. Right, exactly. So now describe your place today. Like, what are, what are you doing? I know you've got a lot of gardens. What else is going on at your place? So the original plan for me uh, here, when I envisioned my homestead, my little farm, I always wanted to call it a farm because I always wanted to live on a farm. Um, my vision was gardens and orchards and, you know, like just a botanical paradise. That's what I wanted. Uh, the girls in my family, my wife and daughter, um, they wanted animals and they won. So we ended up getting a lot of, uh, animals, horses and goats. And, um, we had a pig at one point. I'll tell you that story in a minute. Um, chickens and ducks and, uh, tortoises. We had two large tortoises. I'm going around the house trying to remember all the animals. So that changed the direction or the vision because, um, you know, you can't have a lot of gardens when you have a lot of animals because unless you have a whole lot of room. I'm only on five and a half acres and really the front half of the property is about two and a half acres and that's where most of all of this happens. So I do have a small garden that's roughly a 30 foot by 30 foot space. Also a small orchard up front that is, I think, 20 fruit trees and um, another small garden space up by that orchard. But a lot of it's uh, dedicated to the animals. Mm. And now do you, are you raising those animals for meat or are they pets? Like, like what's like, what, what's your motivation with the animals? Well, early on when we moved here, um, most of it's for pets. You know, it was for the girls because they wanted cute animals. Um, as a slightly more logical thinker, I wanted those animals to serve a different purpose, like more purpose. So I did go through the process of learning how to raise meat chickens 
and um, got into butchering chickens and um, that went fine we we had a lot of really nice fresh meat in the freezer for several years but um, over time let me give you a real quick backstory I, I've been a vegetarian most of my adult life but as a homesteader I just kind of figured that I needed to raise meat and eat meat so we did and um, I think that's fine but uh, there was a day when I realized after butchering probably I don't know I'm gonna say a hundred chickens it probably wasn't quite that many but it was a lot of chickens and I realized I just didn't want to kill anymore so um, my philosophy on meat is if if I can't be a part of the process I don't want it so because I think I just think it's important for people to be engaged or completely uh, aware of um, where their meat com comes from so uh, for me and this isn't preaching it's just for me I chose that if I can't do it I'm not gonna eat it so I gave up eating the meat and now um, everything on the farm every critter on the farm is a pet it's so funny to hear you tell that story because I, I found myself sort of some doing somewhat some somewhat similar where it was that appreciation for what it takes and the cost of, of raising good meat that got me to shy away from eating most meat where it's like I, at this point unless I've raised it or somebody I know has raised it I won't eat it either and and that's that's something that a lot of people I, I feel like they get into this not expecting it to shape how you're seeing the world but just yeah. by living it you, you do change your perspective on things yeah I agree it's too easy for people to go to the store and buy meat products because it's just a food product on the shelf and a neat plastic wrapper and there's no real connection to what that means and so uh, living on the homestead I admire homesteaders either way if you choose to raise the meat and eat it I admire you if you choose to abstain from the killing and and choose to to live a vegan vegetarian life I admire that too uh, but it's really because because either perspective is a more connected perspective compared to just going to the store and buying meat off the shelf. Yeah, no, most definitely. So, so with your garden now, even though it's smaller, like what are the types of things that you're, you're growing down there in Texas? Yeah, uh, so a lot of people think, wow, in Texas you have a really long growing season. But the reality is we have two really short seasons. Um, the June, July, August is not really much of a growing season for many plants because it's so hot and so dry. So in the, uh, right now in the garden, I don't have a lot going on, but I do have, um, I'm trying to remember what I have now. I have, uh, onions, radishes, and some greens, and they happen to be a turnip green. And we also have a, a few lettuce plants and really that's kind of basically it but later on like now pretty much in the next few weeks i'll be planting peppers and tomatoes and probably throwing down some carrot seeds and things like that mm. wow so it's interesting because yeah that that sort of having multiple cycles but having what are effectively here in vermont like our three biggest uh, growing months <laughs> that's like a dead zone for you yeah oh yeah it's too hot yeah. There are a few things we could grow, um, uh, like okra uh, and black-eyed peas and things like that. They'll do okay in the heat, 
Uh, some peppers still do fine in the heat, but for the most part, I consider that just not really a growing season. Right. Um, so in terms of what you're planning now for the future, like what, what are your thoughts and plans for, for the homestead? <laughs> that kind of goes up and down. Um, it's, it's kind of hard to answer actually, because I have, uh, dreams and visions of doing business type things on the homestead. Um, you know, like tiny home rentals for vacation homes, um, birthday parties, growing veggies for market. If I ever, ever were to get, get, uh, enough garden space, um, petting zoo, none of this is like all inclusive, like we're going to do it all, but those are all little ideas that we've had. Um, we really do enjoy having kids come out and experience holding chickens and ducks and, um, you know, seeing the tortoises and things like that. So that's a really fun way to interact with the community. Uh, the, the tiny home rentals sounds fun to me cause I want to build them, but, um, I don't really know where this is all going. I don't know what the direction of the farm really is. Uh, every year it's just kind of going along with the flow and seeing what happens. I know that I want to continue expanding my food growing, uh, knowledge and, uh, along with the beekeeping and things like that. But, uh, yeah, I don't really have a great long-term plan. <laughs> it's, uh, it's look, I don't think most people do, so it makes perfect sense. Um, yeah. You know, one of the things you mentioned earlier, and you mentioned it again there, is is sort of, kind of, you got into the animals a lot because your your kids were interested in in having the animals on the farm, and then you talk about kind of the idea of a petting zoo. What impact do you feel like it has on kids to have animals around as they're growing up? Oh, again, I think it's just that connection. There's, there's, um, it's surprising to me to see kids that have never touched a chicken or a duck or really any live animal besides their dog at home. And, um, I think there's, there's just, a it's a special connection with nature in general. They get to see, it broadens their, their mind, their perspective. And yeah, I don't really know how to say that, but I just think it kind of opens them up to a bigger world. Mm, no, I, I, I've definitely seen that with a, a lot of, like I'll have like some of my neighbors or friends come over with their kids and yeah, to like see a duck for the first time, like up close and, and see it as a real animal and a real creature. Yeah. It's sort of a perspective shift for them, it seems yeah. like. Yeah. So, so as you've been raising your kids on your homestead, um, what have been the different needs that they have had as you've been building out the place and kind of trying to match what they were looking for, whether it was animals or other things? Okay, great. Uh, I have uh, five kids, and really only four of them have been here on the farm because one uh, got married and moved away before we moved here. But uh, the needs were different for each one. Um, my oldest son, his needs were, he needed space to park all kinds of recreational equipment because he was always buying boats and jet skis and whatever else. So he loved having space. The farm meant nothing for him except for space. So we tried to give that to him. Um, another son of mine uh, really didn't care much for the farm at all. He just liked being here. So 
his needs were easy. Uh, I'm going to skip one son and go to my youngest, uh, my daughter, um, my baby girl. She absolutely loves the farm. She loves having the animals and uh, enjoys being able to, to take fresh foods from the garden and cook and just giving her that real homestead experience. She's probably the only one that truly loves the, the homestead experience. Uh, but then the, the son that I skipped is my special needs son. And um, so that's been a special challenge for us in our family as he has a rare genetic syndrome that for the longest time they just called autism because nobody knew what it was or what to call it. And um, he's, he is a wonderful soul, a beautiful person, uh, but his, uh, his need for uh, specific foods or therapies, um, treatments, has really taken uh, a lot of our time and our focus and our energy. So uh, to combine that with the needs of my full-time job and the, uh, the farm and just keeping up with other family, that's been a, a really big part of our life, a, a stress. Uh, and I say that with, with all the positive love I can because, uh, you know, of course we want to do that for our son. But I think living on the homestead for him has been, oh, here it is. I'm calling it a homestead, but I always wanted to call it a farm. My farm homestead. Uh, he has really benefited, I think, with being closer to nature, getting out, um, touching the animals, riding the horses. He loves that. He did that for years as therapy at a barn, but now he gets to do it here on the farm. Um, touching the, the chickens and ducks and chasing you know critters like lizards he used he used to really love catching lizards i think it's been really important for him uh, to have that special connection because it's kind of like a big uh, therapy the world is his his therapist nature is his therapist so it's it's been a lot of work and a lot of effort but living here has been um i think a really nice thing for him as a special needs child so, so you were mentioning earlier that you had pigs at one point. What, what was the story there? Oh, right. Yes, the pig story. So I never really wanted to own pigs uh, just because I don't feel like I have the room for it and, and I've never owned a pig. So it just seemed like something I wasn't going to get into. But uh, several of us were sitting on the front porch. I have a beautiful log cabin with a long uh, front porch that spans the entire front of the house. And we were just out enjoying um, a summer day, and uh, we heard snort, snort, and we all kind of turned, and there was this pig, um, a white potbelly pig that had walked up into our driveway toward our porch, and it stopped about 20 feet out and just snorted. So this is a and, feral potbelly pig? <laughs> well, I don't know if it was uh, feral or if somebody around owned it dumped it i don't know what happens so but we put signs up and asked in the local area um you know lost pig we found your pig nobody claimed it so uh we ended up keeping the pig and she we called her sally and she was a really fun animal i mean she didn't do a whole lot but just having her there is just kind of a different energy with owning a pig it felt fun 
and uh, so we fed her and cared for her and um, the unfortunate ending to that is that uh, uh, she started to look a little ill and she left and uh, walked out so I, I kept the gate open because I figured I didn't own her she showed up I gave her a place to sleep if she ever chose to leave she could do that and one day she did uh, but then our neighbor uh, called and said hey your uh, your pig is over in our property and uh, my son walked over there he's much bigger and stronger than I am and she wouldn't move so he picked her up and carried her home and um, she laid here for three days uh, and didn't eat and she passed away so that was that was our pig experience mm, that's a, that's a bummer how, you know when, when you, your kids see something like that like how do you explain that situation of sort of life and death of an animal on the farm to them when they see something like that yeah well for me my kids are older so those discussions are a bit more of a memory than a current reality but um I've never tried to hide any of it from them. Um, the butchering, when we were butchering, I invited them to be a part of it. Uh, didn't make them. I, they had that choice. And um, also, you know, sometimes things die. So they got to see um, dogs and cats and the pig and uh, several goats um, die just by whatever natural causes. And, um, yeah, they participated in some of them that had little funerals and some of them didn't mm. yeah no it's it's sort of a, a constant cycle on the farm i find between the life and the death and it just it's two sides of the same coin yes sir yeah so now you know i know one of the things that you spend a lot of time with is is your your bees and, and, and keeping bees right um talk to me about what you have going on with the bees on your farm so i really love beekeeping and it's one of those things that if I just absolutely let me add this I do too much on my farm I have a lot going on and I'm doing too much all the time um, if I absolutely had to scale down I've thought about this a lot to three things you're only allowed to keep three things on your farm it would be beekeeping gardening and fermenting food everything else would have to go away I like those three things now, I hope I never have to make that choice. but uh, So beekeeping I've fallen in love with over the years uh, because uh, bees are absolutely just fascinating individually and as a colony. So uh, as much as I think sometimes I just want to quit because I do too much, um, not just quit beekeeping but quit everything, uh, I, I feel like I just couldn't quit that. Because they're just way too fascinating and they just, it's almost like they're calling you back. So um, I started beekeeping in, I think, 2012. And the reason I started beekeeping was that I planted this small orchard and ended up with, I think at the time I had 16 fruit trees and I thought, well, it would be really beneficial to have beehives right near those fruit trees to, to pollinate. Well, it turned out that keeping bees was a lot easier than keeping fruit trees in Texas. So um, my fruit trees have suffered over the years and um, I decided to just keep with uh, raising bees. I started with one beehive. Uh, the next season I think I went to two 
and then I moved the hives away from the orchard simply because it was a little too close to the road and one neighbor uh, in particular at one point said hey my wife's allergic to bees I hope your bees never sting my wife of course I can't control that and it probably wasn't an issue but I decided to move the hive uh, several hives at that point and um, yeah, at one point I had up to seven hives, and right now I have four colonies, four hives still going. Mm. Yeah, and no, beekeeping is one of those things that I keep thinking, I'm going to do it this year, I'm going to do it this year, but I just, <laughs> I don't know, I'm just always too nervous to take the plunge. Um, if somebody wanted to, like somebody like me, wanted to start keeping bees, what would be the steps that you would suggest for them? That's that's a great question. Um, I would say watch several beekeepers. Find a few beekeepers online. If you can find some local beekeepers, that would be fantastic because local beekeepers know your local bees compared to uh, online. They, uh, you know, If you find somebody in, for example, Texas, my beekeeping experience would be different than yours in Vermont. Um, also, you want to find um, people that you can mentor. Uh, they can mentor you either through video or, or in person um, that uses a management style that you want to use because there's all kinds of management styles. I choose not to use any chemicals in my hive. Some people do. So I'm not going to use those people that use chemicals as my mentors. Uh, so I would say, the to make the answer a little shorter, is spend a season or two with somebody as a mentor and um, hopefully somebody you can actually put a suit on and get into their bees with them so that you can figure out before you go through the investment of everything, do I really want to do this? Because some people think they do and then they get in around 100,000 bees flying around them and it's not quite as fun anymore. So, you know. I don't know. Start small, learn a lot uh, before you make the big investment of buying a bunch of bees. That's that's some good advice. I'm, I'm, I, you know what? I actually feel like there there is a guy down the road for me who I know has a bunch of hives. I might just yeah ask to come and spectate and then see if I can dip my toe in that way. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. So one of the things I know you often talk about is this idea that everybody has a story to tell. Um, yeah. As you, as you kind of zeroed in on that, what was the origin of it and, and what motivated you to kind of focus on that idea as you, you think about a lot of like the things like you create in your videos? Yeah, so yeah, this is really dear to my heart because um, I'm not even sure why I started YouTube way back. Uh, I My channel started in 2006, but the video that really kind of launched me as a creator uh, in to myself was in 2010 uh, and that was one where I recorded that small experimental aquaponic system and um, I really enjoyed building it so I created this little video I put it on YouTube and uh, much to my surprise people actually watched it and so that was the one where I feel like okay this is it I not only want to do this stuff, I want to record this because I like the idea of sharing that story with someone else. Well, my personality, uh, I'm not very confident in myself. 
I've always felt not good enough, like not worthy of sharing, not worthy of speaking up. Like I'm the little guy physically and, uh, you know, I've, I've always been the last one, the smallest one. And uh, so sharing my story online was a little weird for me. And for the first few years, I just kind of did it, but I started getting nervous and, and feeling like, you know, I started getting a few haters, you know how that is, right? And um, I started really questioning myself and thinking, I'm silly, I'm stupid, I'm not worth it. Listening to those voices in my head that, that uh, no one really should listen to. And it was around 2016 when I feel like, um, as a man of faith, I feel like this came from God. Uh, I really feel like this phrase was given to me and one day I just thought everyone has a story and every story counts and so I just started repeating that to myself and initially that was I felt like that was to give me permission to believe in me I was allowed to share my story because my story is worth something somebody out there wants to hear it Somebody needs to hear it. And so when I started sharing that phrase with my audience, uh, it really resonated with a few people. And I've had people for the last few years now just tell me, wow, that is wonderful. I love that message. Thank you. By the way, I'm starting my own YouTube channel because you said that. And uh, even just last weekend when I was at the Mother Earth News Fair, uh, a gentleman came up and talked to me and he said, you know, that that is powerful and I've been thinking about sharing my story but I don't feel worth it um, but I'm gonna do it because my story counts and that's exactly it that's it it meant a lot to me and I I feel really good sharing that with people and it actually means something to other people mm, Wow pretty awesome <laughs> and it's you know i gotta say it's, it's been one of those things that's i've always believed as well i mean even down to this podcast of just trying to capture other people's stories uh um, yeah yeah it's just a i think i think it is i think we learn so much by listening to stories and so recognizing that each person has a story it's i think there's just a lot of magic in kind of unearthing those and yeah exactly and and so many people say no i really don't and i'm like yes you do you are a story Every day you wake up and you get busy doing whatever it is you do, you're developing that story. Uh, and just because you don't believe in it doesn't mean it's not there. And that's how it was for me is I never believed so much in that what I have to offer is worth offering, but it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Um, for, for somebody who's listening to this and they're, you know, commuting into work and thinking about leaving their apartment in the city to go start a homestead or start a farm or something, what advice would you have for that person? There's a lot of layers to that. Uh, one is just advice on what land you choose, like be fully aware of taxes and flood zones and uh, the the legal um, what you're allowed to do on that land legal use of the land so there's you know do your research figure out the land that works for your vision and um, also within your budget because if you overbuy uh, then you 
you won't have any money and resources to do what you want to do with the land. Because not too many peop people buy a perfect piece of land that instantly is set up with all of the inf infrastructure that they need for their vision. That just doesn't really happen. Uh, that happens over time. But once you find that land, um, I would say, again, kind of like beekeeping, start small and scale up. That way you're not just investing. If you just go all out in the first year building fences and buildings and whatever, and you haven't learned the proper type of fence or placement of fence or the type of fence for um, the animals or the gardens, whatever, then you may find yourself redoing those things. So I say, you know, start with temporary things or uh, drawings or visiting other farms or, you know, in, in the permaculture world, some people actually recommend buying a piece of land if it doesn't have a house and setting up a tent and living in a tent for a year or two. That way you get a good feel for the land, you know, water flow, wind direction, uh, sun, how the sun hits your land, all of those different things so that you can um, be better prepared in that third and fourth season to start really implementing your design or your, uh, your vision with that property. I hope you guys really enjoyed that. I, I had so much fun talking with Blake. He's such a good human being and good dude. Um, and, and, you know, anytime I get to work with him, I, I'm just always really excited. And so it was fun recording that for me. Um, if you want to learn more about what Blake's doing on his farm, um, and, and kind of see him in action, be sure to check him out on YouTube. It's at, uh, daddy curbs, all one word. Uh, I'll leave a link for his YouTube channel in the show notes. Also, you can check him out on Instagram, uh, just by going to daddy curbs as well. Um, I'll leave, like I said, I'll leave uh, links for both down in the show notes. Um, and I guess the other thing I wanted to just offer up to you guys is, uh, you know, over this past month, and I think I mentioned this in a previous podcast, uh, I've been on a little bit of a hiatus from YouTube. I've uh, been working on writing a book. Um, it's been going really, really well. Um, I've, I've been enjoying that process and, and enjoying sort of a, a chance to create something a little different than what I usually do. Uh, but I'm actually nearing completion of my hiatus as well as nearing completion of uh, the writing process. And so I'm going to be back on YouTube uh, starting um, Monday, March 2nd. So uh, if you want to see our next video and kind of see what I've been up to, uh, be sure to check us out on YouTube then. Uh, but you can always go just check out us out on YouTube. we got a couple hundred videos up there now at this point talking about what we're doing here at Goldshaw Farm. And again, thank you guys for all the support. I continue to be amazed to see the, the reviews coming in. You know, if you guys get value out of this show and if you appreciate what we're doing here at the Goldshaw Farm podcast, the most helpful thing you can do is go on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or Google Play or wherever you guys are getting this podcast and uh, just take a minute or so to... to Give it a rating, you know, preferably a high rating maybe, and uh, write a review because uh, the more ratings and reviews we have, the more we get recommended for other people. And, and so that support really helps keep me going as, as I work to produce this podcast. And so it's, it's greatly appreciated. And with that, that's all I've got for this episode. I'll be back real soon with another installment of the Goldshaw Farm podcast. Uh, but until then, I will have my good friend, Mr. Keith Pierce, play our theme song. Thanks. It's got a soul, this hero farm, it falls asleep inside my arms, we 
Work the fields under the stars. The love is here at Gold Shop Farms. A city life yet had its charms. But we would dream of the fields under the stars. I fall asleep inside its arms. The love is here at Gold Shop Farms. The love is here. Here at Gold Shop Farm.